I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book-related, author-related, current events in the book world, new releases, book roundups, current reads, and of course, discuss a half of our monthly book club pick, which this month is The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. Hope you're all having a fantastic couple of weeks. We are well into October, and I know I'm a couple days late recording this. I don't really have a good reason other than I couldn't get the reading done. I've had the slowest reading month right now as I'm recording this. It is Tuesday, October 10th hoping to get this up later this afternoon or Wednesday, October 11th, which I know is a couple of days late, but I'm trying my best. I have not had very much time to read at all, which I know happens some months. And I've had like kind of a slower fall and end of summer reading anyway. Um, I think I took on too much, which is the story of my life. So just kind of going into current events. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about what I did read so far this month, what I'm hoping to read for the rest of the month, and kind of for the rest of the year. Um, and then we'll get into our discussion of the very secret society of irregular witches. Um, so uh, if you've been listening to the podcast or following me on my Instagram, you'll know that I took on like a part-time waitressing job 
as well as my full-time nine to five job, as well as trying to keep up with my bookstagram and reading and a few freelance projects. Um, and I realized it was a bit more than I could do if I want to stay sane and be able to keep reading and keep up with my hobbies and my social life. So I decided to put in my notice at my waitressing job in Sunday. This past Sunday was actually my last day, which for me, was the right decision because I'm already feeling a lot less stressed without having that extra, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week of waitressing. So feeling good about that decision. And it also means I'll be able to read a lot more. But because of that, I really have not been able to read very much. And that includes our book club book. So I was reading a little bit here and there after work, but I also have a lot of social plans in October, just with trying to keep up with spooky season, you know, seeing friends, carving pumpkins, going to fairs, all of that. So I actually haven't had much time to read like at all. So I finally, finally last night on Monday, when the episode was supposed to be up, finally finished the first half of the book. And let me say it's a very easy read. I'm not saying by any means like it was difficult to get through or anything. I just physically did not have the time to read it. So now that it's finished, I wanted to record this episode for you all this morning. It might be a little bit quicker than normal, just because I want to get it up for everyone and make sure that we're kind of sticking to a decent schedule. Um, so I might not go into the full first episode in depth, you know, current reads and book of the month stuff. I'm going to do a little bit of it, but probably not as in depth as I normally do. And then for the second episode of the month that's going to come out in a couple of weeks, I can definitely talk more about new releases and things I'm looking forward to for the rest of the year. Um, but I mostly just wanted to get this episode up for you all. So we stick to our semi-consistent schedule that we've been used to. Um, we did figure out what we're going to be for Halloween. If you don't know, my boyfriend and I um, have been really, really into dressing up for the whole time, our entirety really of our relationship. And every single year, it's kind of a struggle to decide what we want to be. But every year we've really done a good job. So it's been, we kind of have a, like a lot of pressure from our friends and family to pick a really good costume. So we think we picked a good costume this year. I'm not going to share anything, but definitely be on the lookout on my Instagram um, to see what we're going to be for Halloween this year. Um, we always stay in like the horror, scary, like spooky realm or we have for the past five years. So this year will be no different and I'm super excited about it. Um, but as far as reads go for October, I've actually only read one book so far. <laughs> um, we're going to get probably, hopefully four books in this month, but we will, we're going to try our best to just keep on reading. So the book that I did finish up so far this month is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. And I do have a lot to say about it. So this one has been everywhere. It's been all over the book clubs. It was in book of the month. I think it was Good Morning America's book club pick. And it's truly just been everywhere and everyone's been talking about it. And I totally understand why it wasn't like a five star read for me. It was probably a solid four, um, 3.5, four stars. It was a really good book and I can understand the hype that it's getting. But I'm just not 100% sure it's for me. I know that I have talked about this book on this podcast a decent amount. So I'm not going to share the synopsis. But basically, it's about a father, a father goes missing in this family. Um, and he went missing after going for a walk with his teenage son. But unfortunately, the teenage son really can't tell the family anything about what happened, because he has a syndrome called angel man syndrome, which means he can't talk. Um, and he also um, has autism. So 
he's unable to tell his mom and his two siblings what happened to the father, even though he knows what happened and he's clearly very stressed about it. Um, and so it seems like a bit of a mystery and it is in the sense of your, it kind of takes place over the course of like two or three days and they're trying to figure out what happened to their father. And it's told from the eyes of the daughter in this family. Um, but it's also a really, really unique take on family relationships in like the modern family complicated relationships. And I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it a lot. I think a lot of people went into this book thinking that it was going to be a very standard thriller mystery. But I kind of knew going in um, from other reviews that I had seen that it was going to be more of a take on modern family and like complicated relationships. And I really enjoyed that. What I also enjoyed was how it was written. So like I said, it was told from the point of view of the daughter. And it was really written like a train of thought, like a continuous train of thought. And it did get a little bit old at times. I found it at first to be really unique and fresh. But as the book continued, I was like, okay, can we just get on with it? Not a lot was happening. So I feel like it probably could have used a bit more editing and maybe like 50 to 75 pages less would have moved the plot along a little quicker, but still a really good book. Um, let me give you guys my Goodreads review. Um, I said, I completely see why this book got so much hype from book clubs, but it just slightly missed the mark for me. The beginning of the book completely sucked me in. I loved the mystery and turmoil surrounding our main family, and I especially enjoyed the writing style. Being inside Mia's head and her internal stream of consciousness and anxiety as she navigated this tumultuous situation was very intriguing. However, as the book progressed, the wordiness of the novel got really annoying to me and I just wanted more action to happen. I feel like it could have been 100 page less and still gotten the main points across that it did. My favorite character and plot point was Eugene and his need for communication with his family. A little mystery of his own, watching Eugene find himself was very rewarding and special. I also feel the portrayal of this family was extremely realistic and heartbreaking. I was constantly rooting for them despite having a strong feeling of where the book was going to end up going. This book won't be for everyone and I'm sure I even and I'm not sure I even fully grasped all the metaphors and, and flowery language used, but I did enjoy the ride and how unique and special the story was. So yeah, a solid four. Um, I totally understand the hype, but I would definitely say if it even remotely intrigues you, pick it up because I think you might enjoy it um, similarly to me. So that's the only book that I've read so far this year for this podcast. Of course, I am halfway through our witchy book. It's going to be hard to say the full title of that book every single time I talk about it. The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what's going to be next up on my list. So if you know me, you know, I am dying to read the new Thursday Murder Club book so that once I am done uploading this podcast, I think that's going to be one of my next reads. The two books at the top of my TBR right now are Becoming the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar and The Last Devil to Die by Richard Osmond. So two Richards, two male authors um, that I have coming up on my TBR. But truly, truly excited for those. My love for Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar knows no bounds. If you know me and you follow my Instagram for a while, you know how obsessed I am with this book. Um, I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast, but I can give you guys a little brief synopsis here because Becoming the Boogeyman actually just came out 
Um, and you're going to need to read Chasing the Boogeyman first if you want to read Becoming the Boogeyman. So here is the synopsis of Chasing the Boogeyman. It says, in the summer of 1988, the mutilated bodies of several missing girls begin to turn up in a small Maryland town. The grisly evidence leads police to the terrifying assumption that a serial killer is on the loose in the quiet suburb. But soon a rumor begins to spread that the evil stalking local teens is not entirely human. Law enforcement, as well as members of the FBI, are certain that the killer is a living, breathing madman, and he's playing games with them. For a once peaceful community trapped in the depths of paranoia and suspicion, it feels like a nightmare that will never end. Recent college graduate Richard Chismar returns to his hometown just as a curfew is enacted and a neighborhood watch is formed. In the midst of preparing for his wedding and embarking on a writing career, he soon finds himself thrust into the real life horror story. Inspired by the terrifying events, Richard writes a personal account of the serial killer's reign of terror, unaware that these events will continue to haunt him for years to come. A clever, terrifying, and heart-trending work of metafiction, Chasing the Boogeyman is the ultimate marriage between horror fiction and true crime. Chismar's writing is on full display in this truly unique novel that will haunt you long after you turn the final page. And guys, it's metafiction. So that's a new genre to me, or it was when I first read this book. It truly feels so real. As I was was reading it, I was like, is this a true crime book? Like I was looking up the events that were going on only to find out that it's not real. So Richard Chismar is the author and he's writing it as if it were really happening to him or as if it really did happen to him in his real life, but it is completely fiction. I read this book two years ago. And so Becoming the Boogeyman comes out. I'm not going to read the synopsis of that one because I'm actually going into a blind myself. Um, and I also don't want to give potentially anything away in that synopsis that would give you any spoilers for Chasing the Boogeyman. This was five massive stars for me. I said this book, oh, actually, I read this last year. I thought I read it two years ago. So no, I read it last year. I said this book is a masterpiece, one of my favorite books I have ever read, so much so that I can't find a single flaw. Every page was perfection. The attention to detail is unmatched. The photographs after every chapter, I mean, come on. Although going in, I knew it was primarily fiction. I was doubting that at every turn, thinking, is it possible? It's true. I couldn't believe that Richard Chismar had created characters with such depth that they could be fictionalized, such events and crimes that weren't true. If you're a fan of true crime, horror, mystery, thriller, you must read this book. I am truly blown away by it. Not to mention, I did not see the ending coming, which is rare for me. Added bonus points because at times this book is so utterly poignant, it will bring a tear to your eye. All in all, I'll be recommending this book to anyone who comes into conversation with me for the foreseeable future. So yeah, if that isn't a good enough review for you guys. You absolutely need to read it. I am 1000% serious. Read this book if you haven't yet and then read Becoming the Boogeyman, which is going to be next on my TBR for spooky season. And then of course, I will be I might be putting off The Last Devil to Die for November because the Thursday Murder Club series is a fantastic mystery series, but I feel like it's good cozy murder thriller vibes that are good into November. And I do want to get a few more spooky books off my list, if at all possible. Um, I talked about this on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook, if you're not following me, but I want to be reading Rouge by Mona Awad, which I know I've talked about on here. Horror Store by Grady Hendrix is one of the only, or I think the, no, 
one of the only Grady Hendrix books I haven't read. Um, and it's a really cool novel that actually looks like an Ikea catalog. Um, so I love Grady Hendrix. Um, so I kind of want to read that one. Um, so those ones are really at the top of my list. But I have so, so many you guys. I would love to read Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman this month. Um, there's just a lot. And I know that I... Oh, I really am also dying to read Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll because I know I talked about this last week. I'm not the biggest Jessica Knoll fan because I didn't like Luckiest Girl Alive. I was one of the only people that didn't. But Bright Young Women is about the Ted Bundy murders and it is getting so, so much hype right now. And after having just read Notes on an Execution, which I think is going to be very similar to Bright Young Women, I really want to read it and see what all the hype's about and just see if they're very similar. So, and oh God, I keep just, I'm looking at my bookshelf and seeing more books I want to read. I also got Starling House by Alex E. Harrow in my book of the month, which I'm going to talk about very shortly. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of books I want to read, but those are the top of my TBR for the rest of October. Message me on Instagram if any of them are also at the top of your list, um, because I'm very curious what you're reading this month as well. I'm also getting prepped because tomorrow I'm going back to the hub today to talk about my fall book choices for fall. Um, and by the time this is up, actually, I don't know because I'm uploading this either day or tomorrow. Anyway, I have five books and I will talk about that experience more um, in my next episode, but I'm super excited about that. So I've been making sure I'm all caught up and read for that episode as well. So there is just a lot going on in my life. And to be completely honest with you, I am so ready to just be fully reading for pleasure again and just picking up whatever book strikes my fancy. Um, so yeah, it's coming though. I'm excited. Really briefly, like I said, I want to make sure this episode's a little bit quicker than they have been. And I'll talk about more October and November releases in my final episode of the month. But I do want to talk about book of the month because as always, it's just something I do in the first episode. So we did have some really, really cool books come out this month. Um, and I picked up three, I believe three. So we had a book called Wellness by Nathan Hill. It has been everywhere. I believe it was an Oprah's book club pick as well. It's a literary fiction book. I'm kind of surprised I didn't get this one, but there's a new note on the book of the month app that says, kindly note this book is highbrow, which I don't know if I would like that or not. Like I usually like literary fiction or books that are like existential and really make you think, but it kind of deters me a little bit for some reason. Um, it's also really, really long. This book is 400 plus pages, um, but it's about a marriage and a couple that meet in the 90s and just kind of go through their marriage. Um, I've heard really good things from a lot of people, but I've also heard it's really, really intense. And I think at some point I'll pick it up, but for me, it just wasn't up my alley for um, this month. A book that was, was The Unmaking of June Faro by Adrian Young. And I absolutely would have picked this up if I didn't already receive an advanced reader copy of it. Um, this one seems absolutely incredible. And um, spoiler, spoiler alert is what I'm actually talking about on the hub today, even though I haven't read it yet, just because I love Adrian Young and I've heard great things. Um, and I want to make sure that everyone knows about it. This one comes out on October 17th, but you can get it in book of the month early 
And if you're unfamiliar with Book of the Month, this is not sponsored, but just an update. You can get your first book for $5 if you use a link in my bio on my Instagram page. Click the Linktree link and click Join Book of the Month for $5 once you get onto that new page. And you can pick one of these um, selections for just $5. Other than that, I believe it's $16.99 a month. And you can get one of the books for $16.99. And then any add-on that you choose is an additional $10.99. So it's a great deal. A lot of the books are new releases or um, haven't even been released yet. And they're really, really great selections. And it's something that I really enjoy every single month getting in the mail. So The Unmaking of June Faro, I was obsessed with Spells for Forgetting by Adrienne Young. And I think this one might even be better. And on Book of the Month, there's actually a blurb from Hillary Burton Morgan, who is from One Tree Hill and also is married to Denny from Grey's Anatomy. I'm now blanking on Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who I am literally think is like the most handsome man alive. He's so, so incredible. But she loved it. So if that's more reason for you to get it, um, basically, it's about a woman named June Farrow, obviously. And her mother goes missing when she's really young. And so she goes to live with her grandmother. And in that process, she realizes that the Farrow women have some sort of like magical powers and this mystical element behind their, you know, womanhood. And as she gets older and her grandmother passes away, she starts to dig into the death of her mother and try to uncover that mystery uh, using her powers and kind of like harnessing that. I am so excited to read it. And if you, if I didn't get an arc of this, I would absolutely have picked it up in this box. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
A couple others were The Leftover Woman by Jean Kwok, which was a contemporary fiction that sounded really good. When I'm Dead by Hannah Morrissey. It's an early release thriller that sounded great, but I have heard, I think it's a part of a series, so just watch out for that. The Unsettled by Ayana Mathis, which is a literary fiction. And then another one that I picked up, Starling House by Alex E. Harrow, um, which is a gothic fiction that sounded really, really good. And it was also blurbed by the author of Divine Rivals, Rebecca Ross, which I haven't read, but I know a lot of people love. Um, So yeah, really great book of the month choices. Great add-ons as well. I did pick up Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. Um... But there was also the new V.E. Schwab book, The Fragile Threads of Power. Um, And I also picked up um, My Darling Girl by Jennifer McMahon. I'm super excited about this. I really like Jennifer McMahon as an author. And this is like a Christmas horror or thriller. Um, So I'm going to save that for Christmas, but I'm really excited about it. So great book of the month choices this month. I hope you guys picked up some great ones of your own. And for now, we're about 20 minutes in and I want to make sure I'm able to edit this quickly free wall and get it up. So I want to talk about the first half of The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, which is our October book club pick. If you have not read up to chapter 14 in this book, be sure to stop listening now and get caught up before you continue listening because we will be talking about some spoilers. If you don't care about spoilers or if you've already read this book and just want to listen ahead anyway, that's totally fine. Just know that spoilers are ahead. And now I want to get into my chapter by chapter synopsis. And apologies, guys, like I know this isn't the best episode ever. I am fully aware I'm kind of just rambling. But it's been a it's been a long few weeks for me. And just know that the second episode of the month will be much better and much more rehearsed. So that's just a little tangent side note. So thank you for listening anyway. So let's get into chapter one. I said, we are off to a perfectly witchy start and I'm loving the vibes of this book already. We have a suspected romance between an unlikely pair, potentially enemies to lovers, and we have a secret society of witches. Mika Moon is our main witch and she meets with about 20 other witches monthly in Scotland to discuss any new spells or gossip going on in their lives. Other than that, the head witch of the group Primrose forbids them to meet or even talk to each other in fear of being found out. We also learn in the story that all witches are orphans for whatever reason. So when Primrose found Mika being taken care of in India, I believe she moved her to England where she was under the care of nannies her whole life. Now she makes videos online pretending to be a witch and has amassed a following. Flash forward to the folks at the Nowhere House finding her videos. Ian, the grumpy librarian who is definitely going to fall in love with Mika, is against bringing her to help with the witches who live in the house. We're not 100% sure what's going on in the house and why the witches are there, but I'm sure we're going to find out. The vibes so far are immaculate and I can't wait to keep reading. Then I took notes on chapters two, three, and four, and we got all the answers we needed in the last few chapters. Ian messaged Mia with the witch wanted subject line, and she was intrigued enough to go to the Nowhere house and see what he was talking about. There she meets Ian, his husband, Ken, the gardener, Lucy, the housekeeper, and curmudgeonly Jamie, the librarian, of course. She learns that the owner of the house, Lillian, is a witch herself. She has adopted, in a sense, three young girls who also happen to be witches, and they need Mika's help to teach them about their magic and control it, especially because the house's solicitor, Edward, hates everyone in the house and is coming in December to collect some papers. 
Very mysterious, and I'm sure there's a lot more going on there than meets the eye. Mika thinks all of this is a little crazy, especially because she's never told anyone that she's a witch or talked openly about her powers. She's also scared because the more witches you get together, the more powerful yet uncontrollable magic becomes. But because she remembers how lonely her life was growing up and trying to understand and learn her magic all on her own, she decides to move in and help the girls. Then we meet Mika's dog, Sirsa, and she tells her neighbor, Noah, who likes to dog sit for her, that she's leaving. She's never stayed in one place for a very long time, so this isn't too hard for her. I'm hoping she'll find a true home at the Noah house as it seems like she's never had a real one before. We also learned that one of the little girls, Terracotta, isn't too happy with the idea of Mika coming to teach them. For that reason, I have a feeling their connection may end up being the strongest. Then I took notes on chapters five and six. Mika arrives at the Nowhere House. I absolutely love the scene of Mika unpacking all of her things from her broomstick car. Very much Mary Poppins, but also very much Agatha Cromwell's bag in Halloween Town, if you know what I'm talking about. It was very witchy and super fun. Terracotta is the only girl who doesn't greet Mika, and Jamie doesn't make it down either. Is it hard for anyone else to keep the names of the girls straight? I think maybe because they're so unusual, but I'm struggling a bit. There, the two girls, which I now know are Rosetta and Altamira, show Mika around the house and are super excited that she's there. Mika had the whole attic to herself with plenty of room and a view of the ocean. Similarly, again to Halloween Town, when Altamira starts floating in the air, Mika tells her she has to see what she wants and really make herself believe it in order to use her magic. In this case, it's to get herself down. We learn that Lillian sets the wards on the big trees outside the house um, pretty much every single year, which Mika realizes is very powerful magic. She's also getting a little suspicious of Ian and how much he knows about witches. Is something sinister at play? I don't think so, but I'm wondering if maybe he had some powers of his own. At lunch, Terracotta and Jamie finally make their appearances, and they're both seemingly unhappy she's there. But why does Jamie not want Mika to take the girls down to the beach with her? Is it because he is it something he's not telling her, or is it because he's jealous of her having a relationship with them? One more quick note, I am loving the recurring witchy themes in this book from other media, like I mentioned before, Halloween Town, but also that witches have a very strong connection with nature and all living creatures, which was a very strong theme in Wayward. So chapter seven, we learned that Jamie has kind of this fear of Mika taking over because he's really been the only parental figure for the girls. And he's just afraid of releasing some of that power. He's just very protective over them, which honestly makes a lot of sense. But after Mika and him have a midnight chat outside about it, he promises to trust her more. In chapter eight, Mika has her first lesson with the girls with Jamie present to supervise. The girls ask a lot of questions and we get some more answers as to what Mika's home life was like growing up. Apparently, the nannies that Primrose hired to watch her weren't allowed to know she was a witch. And as soon as they caught wind of any magic going on, Primrose replaced them with another nanny and wiped their full memory. So no one ever even remembered Mika. She has definitely led a life of loneliness, and I'm sure we're going to see her get a happy ending. Meanwhile, Ian, Ken, and Lucy are inside watching the lesson go on, and Ian is plotting to get Mika and Jamie together, and apparently it isn't his first time playing matchmaker for Jamie. Everyone tells him to stop, especially because apparently Jamie has secrets, including involving how he got to Nowhere House, and apparently some sort of loss we will have to wait and see. In chapters 9 and 10, we get a Jamie point of view. Um, 
And we learn that there was some tragic event that happened to him because apparently he has a before Jamie and after Jamie. I'm assuming maybe a wife died suddenly, maybe even someone who worked at Nowhere House. Him and Mika have a chat in the library and we learn that Edward isn't going to postpone his visit. I will say I'm having a hard time with this whole Edward thing being the catalyst for the Nowhere House needing a tutor. Couldn't they just take the girls out for a bit while the solicitor comes to get the paperwork? Couldn't they just be in their rooms? Why would it be so hard for them to control their magic with a stranger? Has he never come to the house before? Maybe I'm missing something, but I'm finding that a bit tough. Then there's the matter of Lillian. What is up with her? I feel like there's a lot we don't know. Is she even alive still? Why wouldn't you want to come back to help the girls? Then in chapter 10, we have Mika teaching the girls another lesson, and she realizes she sees so much of herself in Rosetta. Mostly the fact that she can tell she's lonely and wanting to experience the outside world. So she suggests taking her to a bookshop and Jamie immediately says no, which I understand is very frustrating because we all know Mika has good intentions. But for a second, imagine you were pretty much the father to three girls and a tutor that is less than two weeks into her job suggests switching things up entirely and potentially putting the girls in danger. He would probably be hesitant too. But after some negotiating, he does agree to let it happen because he knows it'll make Rosetta happy. Then I read to the end of the book here, chapters 11, 12, and 13, or at least till the end of the first half. Ian, Jamie, Rosetta, and Mika make their way to the bookstore in Norwich. I wonder how much time outside of the nowhere house the girls have realistically had. I'm thinking close to zero, so it's incredibly endearing to see Rosetta experiencing the world around her for seemingly the first time. Before arriving at the bookstore, we learn the reason that Ian knows so much about witches is because his mom was a witch herself. I didn't see that coming and I absolutely love the twist. Rosetta is so happy in the bookstore and even makes some friends. Jamie said he had to run an errand and after a while, Ian prompts Mika to go find him. She finds him coming out of a store called Solicitors Limited. Could there have been a name a little less on the nose? Come on. And at first she thinks he's visiting Edward, but Jamie says that he's that Edward works in London. He was visiting this solicitor to learn more about his dad's death, which happened when he was 12. So what happened when he was 16 that forced him to move out of his own house and find Lillian? And I really liked when Mika described Lillian as nice, but not kind. I think that's a really interesting take and one that would apply to a lot of people. Then we have a montage of Mika's time at the Nowhere House, and like I suspected, her and Jamie are getting closer. They're having a few nightcaps together, and he's learning more about her and her magic and learning to trust her more. However, she still isn't making much ground with Terracotta, who still isn't warmed up up to her and doesn't trust her. I have a feeling with Jamie trusting her more, that will come with time. But we did end on a cliffhanger. Sorry about that. I truly have no idea what's going to happen when I make the reading chunks, but... Terracotta is literally levitating after questioning Mika on how to do it and Mika refusing to tell her, but it's because it's too dangerous. I'm sure it'll be fine, but still funny we ended that way. And that is the first half. So overall, it's a very, very cute book with a fantastic cast of characters. I'm personally really enjoying the themes of found family and how Mika is finally experiencing love and acceptance with people. I love Ian and Ken and their fun relationship and dynamic. The girls are very cute. And I love that we have a budding romance between Jamie and Mika. Now I'm just waiting for everything to pick up, you guys. While it's incredibly cute and sweet and I'm loving the fun fall witchy elements, I do need the pace to pick up because really not much has happened. I'm sure we're going to get more romance in the second half. 
as well as lots more drama with Edward, who's coming shortly. I wonder if Mika will stay in the house past that, though I'm sure we're all assuming yes. I'm wondering if we're going to see that happen. As I often say with sweet books like this, is it anything revolutionary? No, it's not changing my life, but I'm enjoying the read. It's sweet and fun and a nice palate cleanser from some of the heavier books I've been reading. It's easy and fun and the writing is very cute and I'm enjoying myself and I hope you all are too. And that is all for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. A little bit chaotic, but that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, That is the end for today. Be sure for the next episode, which will be live on Monday, October 23rd, to finish the Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. And I will have some prompts for you all on my Instagram to answer for the ending of the book. And until then, be sure to be up to date on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook for those prompts and to stay up to date on my current reads and um, current events going on in my life. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll talk to you all in the next episode. Bye guys. We have to try to find ways to find peace and art and love and connection in the midst of the chaos of life. So that's life writing. I am so excited to have comic and daily show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. Well, hello. That joke was birthed from my trip to the African-American Smithsonian in DC, which that was the first time I saw something where, all right, on this floor, it's nothing but good news. Mm. We've gone through slavery. We've gone through desegregation and emancipation proclamation and reconstructing but on this floor beyonce michael jordan Issa ray thank you for coming <laughs> come and join us on life writing for more stories like these and the tools writers need to make yourself the hero or heroine of the adventure of your life life writing is available wherever you get your podcasts